Our Heavenly Father, we, we are so astounded by you. It's, Lord, when we consider the creation, when we consider everything that you've done, and, and like David said, who are we? It, it's really easy for us, Lord, to, to just feel small. But yet you died for us. You, you, you loved us that much, Lord. And so because of that, here we are. So, Lord, right now, we are here to hear from you. And we pray, Lord, that that is exactly what happens tonight, Lord, that you move us towards you, that you move us towards an understanding of you and understanding how to walk in your spirit and in your kingdom in this earth. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So far, we've talked about over the course of the last two seasons of Man to Man, what we've called basically the giant killers, the gatekeepers. We've used all these different phrases. And we first started out talking about gates. And the gates are anything where you have interest. You have an interest or you have, a, or you have some sort of authority in that or responsibility. It's your marriage, it's your job, it's your soccer team, it's your gym. Whatever that might be, those are your gates. And those areas of your life that are your gates, God has put you there. He's set you free from anything the enemy has to offer. He set you free from sin. He set you free from regret so that you can do good, God's good, in those gates. And we talked about that. And we made a big deal about that, but I'm here to tell you tonight what we're talking about is not about the gates. We moved on from the gates, and we started talking about David and Goliath and the kill zone and the, and the fact that we have spiritual warfare and that spiritual warfare is all around. We, had to, we, we, we coined the word the, the multiverse, that the real reality that we all deal with is not this stuff right here. That's just a subset of what God sees as the multiverse, as what God sees as a reality. And within that reality is all-out war. And we talked about how that was going through the kill zone, that valley between the two mountaintops where we are and where we want to be, where we are and where our destiny is. And there's this, this trough of trouble that we have to get through, and we went through and discussed how we can have victory in that. But we're here to tell you tonight, it's not about the kill zone. So then as part of that discussion, we talked about Goliath. He was the picture of the giants in our lives. Those things that, that come against us, those, whether it's our finances or, our, or it could be in our marriage or it could be our health or it could be our kids or whatever it might be, those giants that are, that are standing between where we are and where we need to be. We talked about how we can believe God and kill giants. But I'm here to tell you tonight, it's not about the giants. And then as recently as our last time we got together, we began to talk about that, no, it's not about the giants. Our, our identity in Christ, our identity about who we are, cannot be the giants you can't be well I, i'm the guy who's been divorced five times or i'm the guy who had cancer or i'm the guy or I, that's not your identity our identity was in christ so it can't be about the giants so what's it about we began to talk about what's behind the giants what's behind the giants is what god has in mind for you it's your destiny it's the reason that god has this on this earth taking up space and using up air it's that thing for which we were created, for which God has packaged us, that purpose that takes all that wiring that God has packaged within each and every one of us individually, God himself packaged. He didn't send some angel to do it. God did it to get you to that place, that destiny. And it's my conviction that many of us in this room are that far away. 
We're that far away from that destiny that God has called you and me to. And that is awesome. But the problem is, is that the reason I know that is because several of you told me about the giants you're dealing with right now. And they're big. They're big giants. It's my opinion that if you want to find your destiny, look behind the biggest giant. Look behind the biggest giant that the enemy's put between you and that destiny because that's where he does not want you to be. He does not want you to come into your destiny, into the fulfillment for what God has designed you to do. The destiny, that's cool. That's happy. That's, that's fulfilling. But I'm here to tell you guys tonight, it's not about our destiny. Our walk with Jesus is not even about, primarily, our destiny. Oh, yeah, that's kind of all that stuff we've talked about. It's a very, very popular message. It can, be, it can draw crowds. But it's about something else. It's something else that I think is just really, really cool. So I want to kind of talk about and introduce that something else to you, that thing that this is all really about. That thing, the thing that gets us through the gates and through the war, past the giant, into our destiny. What is that thing? We're going to look at that. And I want you to look at, first of all, it should come up here on the screen, Joshua chapter 5. In Joshua chapter 5, we find that Joshua, I mean, the Israelites are about ready to take on, go, they come to the promised land, they're about ready to, to go into Jericho. And as we get to about verse 12 or 13, we find Joshua. And Joshua is walking, he's kind of around the walls of Jericho. And he's, he's trying to, well, as it says there, as it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, he's, he's figuring out, what do I do, God? How do I, I mean, we got a, a city with 35-foot thick walls all around it. What, how, how are we going to do this? And he's, he's trying to come up with a battle plan and everything else. And it says that Joshua was over there by the walls of Jericho. And when he did that, understand that he was doing that for one reason. He had to have a plan. See, Joshua was aware he had an objective. Right now, the giant in his life was that 35-foot thick wall. And he had to somehow get past that wall and take that city because God told him to. And he wasn't quite sure how to do it, but he was trying to come up with a plan. And there's a lesson here for us, guys. And we've talked about this, and we talked about spiritual warfare. Understand that if you are not aware that you are in the fight of your spiritual life, that the enemy is trying to take you out every chance he can. If you don't walk around aware that there is a roaring lion seeking that he might devour you in any way, if you let your guard down, you are a soft target. If you think life is all about just what we see here and feel here on this earth, and that's all there is to it, you are a soft target. The crosshairs of the enemy are on your head right now because you are not defending yourself. You're not preparing for war. Now, I will say to all of you who are here tonight, you're a far step ahead of most guys because you're here. You're here to try to prepare for this combat. Joshua was around the wall there, and he, was kind of, he didn't want to be a soft target. He wanted to do what God wanted, and so he's there. And it says right after that, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? I think that's a legitimate question. That's a question that every one of us in this room need to ask everybody in our lives. I'd be willing to bet, gentlemen, that there are some in this room that have people around them right now in their lives that are not for you. They're for the adversary. 
they are leading you to do things you know God does not appreciate. They're leading you to do things that you know do not glorify God. They're in your life, but they're for the adversary. Joshua was asking this guy who had the sword out in his hand, he's saying, whose side are you on? And And my encouragement to everyone in this room is look around you. Look at the people in your life, and you need to ask yourself, whose side are they on? Do they really belong in your life? Are they there to help you grow in Christ? Or are they holding you back? Do they influence you to do things that would honor God? Or are they influence you to do things that would not honor God? Joshua wanted to know. He was ready to go. He was getting ready to go to war, just like we are. And guys, when we're getting ready to go to war, we've got to find out who's on our side. You don't go to war with the enemy by your side. So he asked the guy this. He says, uh, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And the man answered, no. No? He said, no. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. I love this part. I absolutely love this part. See, we spend so much of our life, guys. I know I do too. And our, you think of my, when I think of my prayer time, and I think... How much of my time am I spending trying to get God on my side? God, I want X, Y, and Z, so come over to my side so I can make that happen. God, I need this, so come over to my side. God, my wife and I aren't agreeing on something. You're on my side, right? And we have all those discussions. I'm always trying to get God on my side, but Joshua was talking to who we believe is Jesus at this time, is the appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament, and He's trying to see whose, whose side are you on? And the guy says, I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. I'm on my side. Being on God's side is the key to unleashing his power in our lives and in this world. It's in your notes there. Being on God's side is the key to unleashing his power in our lives and the world. I think it's instructive how Joshua responded. It says right after that, and Joshua fell on his faith, on his face to the earth and worshiped. So many times, guys, if you're wondering what is my first step to getting on God's side, what's the first thing I need to do to get on God's side, I can tell you what it is right now. Worship. Praise. The first thing we need to do if we're going to be on God's side is worship him. It doesn't that make sense? It's really hard to get selfish when I'm worshiping God. It's really hard to make this worship time about me when I'm because I'm talking about God. When I think about you think of our even this is recent this past this past Sunday and that awesome awesome worship time we had during Sunday worship. It's kind of like this was about God. You come away knowing it's about God. And that's what Joshua knew. I am in the presence of God. He fell immediately down and worshiped. But then he said, as he's worshiping, what does my Lord say to his servant? This is instructive. His first step to picking God's side was to worship God. The second step to picking God's side was to get his orders. Think about our prayers. How many times do our prayers turn into a long list and litany of give me this, give me this, give me this, give me this. I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. God, I need you to do, I need you to do, I need you to do. Anybody else in the house like that other than me? 
Thank you. I feel better because I find myself doing that because like, you, get, you get focused on life and you have all these things you want to accomplish and you begin to ask for things and ask for things and ask for things. And then you got to stop back and say, well, Joshua worshipped and said, okay, what, what do you want me to do? That's where he started. So where do we start? How do we, how do we get there? How do we get to the point where we are understanding what our job is? How do we get to the point where we're understanding what our role is? How do we get to the point to know how to conduct ourselves on God's side as, as opposed to trying to get God to come to our side? And I think Julie Andrews had it right in the, in the movie song, Sound of Music. Let's start. I'm not going to sing it. Don't worry. Let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. Let's start at the very beginning and try to understand the priority that we have to have in our lives if we're going to know how to conduct ourselves on God's side. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11 says this. It says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I wanted to say this right here before I go too much further. God wants to bless us. Make no mistake. God wants to bless you. He wants to bless me. And there's no one who is better at it than he is. There's no one who has more power to do it than he does. For everything else I'm about to say for the rest of the night, I want you to remember this. God wants to bless you. And, he's no, and no, one is, no one is better at doing it than he is. But how's God designed this to happen? This is where we're going to start getting into it, so please track with me. Matthew 6.33 is my life verse. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We all know that God wants to bless us, but in Matthew 6.33, Jesus himself says... Where do we, how do we get to those blessings? We put Jesus first. We put God first. Seek first is an all-out, wholesale, sold-out focus on God. It's not just a nod of the head. It's not just to say, God, okay, I'm one of yours. Now give me, give me, give me, give me. A seeking first Christian is someone who is all-out, sold-out, and no-holds-bar focused on what is important to Jesus. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He's talking about the things of, of, of comfort and the things of clothing and food. The path to God's provision in our lives starts at his priority. Seek first the kingdom. What is that priority? 1 Timothy 1.15 tells us what God's priority here is on this earth. Paul says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. It's a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Why did Jesus come into the world? Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was the priority of Christ. That is why he came. Everything else, if we, in the scriptures that we read about Jesus and read about Christianity, if we don't put it in the category of how does it relate to that priority, we're going to mess it up. 
whether it's our blessings and our faith or whatever it might be, if we don't understand that it is all tied somehow to that mission for which Jesus came to this earth, which was to seek and save sinners, we become in danger of being a very short-sighted, self-centered, navel-gazing group of people. Jesus came to save sinners. Paul made that extremely clear. That was thy priority. That was his one reason for coming to the earth. We've all heard the story of the guy lining up. He's a firefighter. He's the chief, and he's lining up all his men and saying, now, what's your job? And the one says, I take care of the hoses. The guy says, I take care of waxing the truck. This guy says, here, I take care of making sure the alarms work and on down the list. And he came back to them and said to all of them, you're all wrong. Your job is to fight fires. You've all heard those stories, right? Well, let me kind of change it a little bit. What's the purpose for that, uh, your blessing of finances? What's the purpose for your blessing of health? What's the purpose of your blessing of, of your marriage being healed? What's the purpose of all the things you're asking for? What's the purpose for God giving you any blessings at all? Is it because I can have a better quality of life? No. The purpose for every blessing that God has ever given you and me as a reflection of his love is to save sinners. Let me say that again. And I am absolutely convinced of this. The purpose that God in his love has for every blessing and every interaction in our life is to save sinners. So what do we do about this? What do we do because if you're like me, when I first was hit with this, the first thought I had in my mind was, but I'm not saving sinners. You know, I'm trying to think, when's the last time I led somebody to Jesus? You know, I'm thinking back on all of that. Please understand, you may never see the fruit of the seed that you plant. But where you need to be and where I need to be as we deal with these blessings that God's giving us, this destiny that we are yearning for beyond the biggest giants, is that we need to become more excited about how it's going to benefit God than the fact that it benefited me. The God of all creation bent low to this earth to pay attention to us. And it's because he loves us and he's the best gift giver of all. But at the end of the day, he wants us to take the blessings and, that he gives us to glorify him so that sinners are saved. How do we go about this? I like to look at it like rotating my tires. I had a car. I just changed cars because somebody decided to hit me on the freeway. So I've got a different car now. But the old car I really liked, and I went through that car uh, that for years has had 200-some-thousand, 14,000 miles on it when I finally changed out and but for the first probably 120,000 miles of it I ran through tires after tires after tires. I spent money going out the wazoo when it came to spending money on sets of tires and the reason I did that is because I was just not real good at rotating tires and the funny thing is when I started the simple thing of I just rotated the tires every time I got an oil change I didn't run through tires anymore I just went to the basic discipline. If I don't rotate the tires, I'm going to eat the tires up. If I rotate the tires, I'm going to keep the tires. I learned to follow the rules. 
which leads to back to Joshua. We go back to Joshua chapter 5. Paul, Joshua just said, what do you want me to do? And he says, the commander says, the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. I'm only pointing this out for one simple thing. Our third step after we worship and get our orders, our third step in picking God's side is obey those orders. You need to learn to obey those orders. So what are those orders today for us? In, in Acts chapter 4, the last part of verse 8, it says, And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. See, God intends to do this saving sinner thing through you and me. That is a mystery beyond comprehension for me. I keep telling folks that when I get to heaven, the first thing I'm going to ask Jesus is, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? You could do this any way you wanted to. You're the God of creation. You could have come up with a really cool plan, but you decided to use people? I don't get it, God. But that's what he has done. And we can talk about all the reasons for that, but the fact of the matter is that those are the orders that we've been given. Our job is to obey them. We are to be his witnesses to the end of the earth. So the question becomes, how are we supposed to do this? There's a partnership. If you move on to Hebrews chapter 4, we've talked about this several times in the last two years. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I simply want to remind all of us in this room right now, the word of God is weaponized. It is weaponized. It is something that is is intended for us to use against the enemy and for God. It is not just words on a page. It's not just some lifeless thing. It is weaponized. I have a new Bible. I I do this every so often. I I got this Bible maybe six months ago. I don't remember now. I mark my Bibles up a lot. You know, I'm highlighting them. I'm putting notes in there and, and stuff. And my last Bible I had was falling apart. Um, I'd had it for quite 10, 15 years. I'd had it for a long time, which is longer than I normally keep a Bible. Because what happens is, is that as you go through the Bibles and, and stuff and you're, you're highlighting and you're mar- making notes and eventually you can hardly read the words because of all the highlighting and the notes you've got in there. The other side of that is, is that you know, you know where to go find everything. You know, it's on the right-hand side, halfway down. You know, it's, it's, or, or, or you only read the verses that, that have been highlighted. And so I find it very good to frequently as well, every five to ten years at the most, to change Bibles because I want to be fresh. I love this Bible. And I'm not talking about this particular book. I just love the Word of God. See, when I look at the Word of God, I'm finding something that is, that is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's something that is alive. I love having this Bible. I, I, I'm not looking at this Bible. I, you know, some of you guys can use the iPads and, and put it on your phone and, and do that. You know, and that's fine. I, I'll do that as well. But when it comes to my time to study, I've got to have this. I, I, I want to... I, I don't want to settle as I'm reading God's word and I go through there. I don't want to settle for, well, I got smarter about God. 
when I was done. That's not good enough. I want the wow. I want God to hit me right between the eyes as I read this word because it, it is a powerful word. This is the word of God. This is something that God has given you and me to do more than get smarter about Jesus. In fact, Paul says, let me get on to that. What it says, yeah, it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the first verse, part of verse 1, it says, we know that all have knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. See, merely getting smarter about Jesus, learning, you know, there's, there's books in this Bible, the whole books I used to have memorized. And I was really smart about Jesus, but merely getting smart about Jesus isn't the purpose of this book. In fact, it's dangerous. I have friends of mine um, that some of these folks have been people I have pastored for years who have, I've helped them through thick and thin, and they look to me as their spiritual mentor and everything else, who will now say to me, because I go to this church, that I have gone off the deep end. You know why? Because I believe this book. I believe that what it says in this book is true, and that when God talks about the things that we can have in Christ, that he meant it, and I intend to. I want everything that God has for me in this book. I want everything here. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want it all? Why wouldn't you want to be in the deep end? If that's what it means, throw me in the deep end with a, with a brick. I don't care. That's where I want to be. If you want to stay in the shallow end with your water wings, I'm all for you. But I'm going to the deep end, gentlemen. The deep end is where God has, wants us to be. The deep end is where we have the power of God in the power of the word. This is weaponized. This is what God wants us to start with. He gave us his word. Not so we become some dry bone intellect so we can be powerful. Apparently there were some in the Corinthian church that Paul was writing to, and he, he started that church, that were rolling their eyes at the deep enders. How many of you are deep enders like I want to be? You want everything God has for you. Okay? Well, there are people who roll their eyes at us for that, which I simply don't understand. And Paul didn't understand it either. Paul talked about how, what the kingdom of God was and was not. Paul said the kingdom of God is not words. It's not intellect. It's not getting smarter about God. It's not being right. The kingdom of God is, as he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, power. It is in power that you see the kingdom of God. See, our natural, the things that we can see here and touch and feel, we rely on reason. We have to reason it out. It has to make sense to confirm the words in this book. But if you're going to try to look at the words in this book and confirm it in the natural, you won't be able to. The spiritual, the spirit in us that lives in us, relies upon power to confirm this. Jesus himself said, if you don't believe what I said, believe the miracles. And that was Jesus. That's what God intended, the power confirming the word. 
I love this word because it leads me to God's power in my life. And that power in my life in God's word is all to support as I am trying to help save sinners. If that's, why God in, that's what God intended. But yet we many times want to balk at that. My question is why? And I think we find the answer in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Where Paul says, once again talking to the Corinthian church, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. I want to encourage you guys. You've, you've got the spirit of God living in Christ living in you. You've got your soul and you've got the flesh. Your soul is going to listen to one or the two. As you're reading the scripture, as you're reading the word of God, if you're going to try to have the natural, the flesh, this world make this make sense, you're out of luck. Because this does not make sense here if this is all there is. The only way this makes sense, if this is not all there is, if there is the spiritual, and that spiritual is another word that we have religionized. What God meant for that to be is simply as a reference to his kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. That's the spiritual. And that's where this makes sense because that's where this becomes possible. Gentlemen, don't. Don't, find your, don't let yourself land in this world where you've got to reason this all out. This is called faith. The word is not reasonable with a natural point of view, but it's perfectly reasonable from a spiritual point of view. That's why when it says in Scripture, by, your, by his stripes I have been healed, in the natural that makes no sense if you're still bleeding. But in the spiritual, you understand that that healing is already yours and you have to claim it. When it says in Scripture that pro when you see the words of prophecy or the, or, or the gifts, uh, you've got word of knowledge, you've got the wisdom, or any of the gifts that the Bible talks about, none of that makes any sense or is even possible in the natural. But where is it possible? In God's kingdom, in the spiritual. Heaven itself is not even possible in the natural. When you die, you're dead. But it is in the spiritual. So who are you going to choose? It comes down to a choice. Am I going to walk in the spirit, as it talks about here in Scripture, or am I going to walk in the flesh? And I'm just here to tell you guys, if you're going to try to understand the word of God in the flesh, you're going to fail. Faith starts by deciding that God is not a liar. It's that simple. Faith starts by deciding God is not a liar. And then when God says that you are a child of the Most High God, it's true. When God says that you are, are, um, you are the righteous of God in Christ Jesus, that's true. I can pull out my, my list here of, of promises and I can pick any one of them. I can say, if God is for me, who dare be against me? God's not a liar, that's true. If you think God might not, might, may not be telling the truth, then you may not be able to claim that promise. When it says no weapon formed against me will be successful, if God is true, so is that. Faith starts by understanding that God is not lying. And it means just you're going to simply choose God's side. You're going to listen and walk in the Spirit, regardless of what the natural says.
The word empower. That's how we save sinners. Think about, think about Paul going through all his mission trips around the world. Now, when he was talking to the Jews, he could talk from a point of reference because they, they knew the, the fathers, they knew the law, they knew all of those things, and they were looking for a Messiah. And he could speak from that to say, here's how, here is who Jesus is, I can prove it with the Scripture. But when he's talking to the Gentiles who don't have that background, who don't understand what a Messiah is and why would I even need one, and, and they have their background is all these different kinds of gods, and just choose whichever one works for you, well, it sounds kind of like today, right? You're not going to, Paul wasn't going to reason all of Europe and Asia and those places he went. He wasn't going to reason them into the kingdom. It was the, that's why he said to the church of Corinth, it's the word and power to confirm that word. Gentlemen, if, if what, what we're about is to save sinners. We've got to confirm those words with power. Now, I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying all this has to be, you know, flashy miracles, lightning in the sky, all that kind of stuff. It could simply be the power that comes when they watch you walk through a hard time and you, look, and you don't give up on God. Guys, there's very few things that are more powerful to confirm the word of God than you living the word of God when it hurts. That power could be simply that you share the word, the spirit goes through the words that you're doing and touches their heart, but that's the power of God, not the reasoning of your mind. And there are times when the power of God can be more obviously exhibited through a healing or, a, or any kind of another miracle. Or there's other ways to do that, but the bottom line here is that every one of us has access to this tool to fulfill the number one reason Jesus came to this earth and save sinners. How do I know? It says so right here in Acts chapter 1. First part of verse 8. Jesus is saying, you, 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 me, we will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us. Jesus promised us the power to confirm his word. Jesus did not expect us to try to reason the world into heaven. He promised us what we needed to bring the world to heaven, to conquer those gates. How much power? It says right here in, in, in Romans 8, verse 11. But the, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let me go to the first part of that. Did you catch that? The spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. He lives in me. That same spirit that, said again, raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and me. I don't know how you measure power, but in my world, that's pretty powerful. And if I've got that in me, that's the power that redefines possibility. That's the power that redefines possibility. Think of the giants in front of you right now. Think of the giants between you and your destiny. Well, those things that you have no idea how you're going to overcome them. And I know you, several of you have things. Some of you told me what they are. If we don't have the power of God, that power that raised Jesus from the dead living in us, we're doomed. Those are big giants. But with that power in our lives, that power inhabiting us by Jesus, by, by, by what he did on the cross, and now we have that living in us just as he promised, that redefines really the possibilities. 
That redefines the potential. That tells us we can do more. That, that is why we are more than conquerors. That is why we are bigger than the giants. That's why we can get to our destiny. How big is that possibility because of that power? Back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the second part. Where Jesus says, because of all of this, you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. He was talking to 11 guys. And he was telling those 11 guys, you can take this world back for me. How big are your giants? How big are those things that stand against you? Are they bigger than the whole world? Jesus said, with this kind of power that I, I'm sending to you, the Holy Spirit's coming to you, the same Spirit that raised me from the dead is going to inhabit you. You're going to have access to that power, and through that, I expect you to take this world back for me. That is my plan. That is my purpose. That's why I came. Gentlemen, I, I want to encourage each and every one of us. Let's, first of all, let's, let's think about the mission. Let's think about Jesus' purpose. It's time we start thinking massive. Okay? It's time we start thinking mass. Now, I mean that in two ways. First way, when it comes to that person or people in your life that are just obnoxious and you don't know what you're going to do with them and they are hard to handle and it's time to start thinking massive through the power of God, the power that raised Jesus for the dead is in you. You can't overcome that. But when it comes to the church, this church in particular, the bridge church, God has put in my heart the vision for this church, not the vision, now I'm not talking about Gary's got his vision for the church, and this is, a sub, this is a subset of what Gary has, but I don't see this church at this size. I believe God is doing something here, something really powerful, something really awesome, and I think what it's going to take for us to tap into what God's vision for this church is, is for you and I to start thinking massive, start thinking the massive, the kind of massive thinking that comes when you have the power that raised Jesus from the dead living in us. The kind of massive that says, there's no reason we couldn't have 10,000 on Easter. There's no reason we couldn't, there's that kind of thinking. It just takes a few of us really believing that Jesus came to save sinners and he gave me the power to do it. But I know if you're like me, part of that says, yeah, but what about me? I got issues, God. <laughs> I need some blessings. I need some solutions. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us and talks about how we need to praise God for that. The natural... We're not going to get that. We're going to get the best we can get but with the spiritual. We can have what I like to refer to as look at what God did moments. Now, I'm saying that phrase on purpose. So many times we talk about the blessings of God and we're, we, we're thrilled with, with the blessings. We, we're thrilled with what God's done for us. But I want us to take that thrill to the next step. 
That next step is understanding that God did that for me to be a witness to you. Look what God did. And those look what God did moments, those look what God did moments are exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. What's that power? The power that raised Jesus from the dead. That, according to that kind of power, those look what God did moments can be off the charts. And we say to someone, look what God did, and they try to say to you, oh, no, you just got lucky. No, no, God did this. And let me explain why I know that. When they say to you, you say to them, look what God did with my job or my marriage or my children or my health. And they try to tear that down, which the natural will, because it doesn't make sense to them. You say, no, this is what God did. And here, let me show you why I know that. It gives you the opportunity to take this power that God has put in us that is going to bless us because God wants to. Remember we talked about that? But take that power that's going to bless it that God's put in us and use it to accomplish Jesus' purpose. Save sinners. Jesus is seeking Jesus' priorities first. Opens us up to the blessings. Better look at what God did things, opportunities that nature can't explain. If we're going to seek Jesus' priorities first, to seek him first, we are going to strive to live look what God did lives. Are we? Just how powerful of a life is that? I hope you guys are catching this part. Matthew 16, verse 18. How powerful of a life is that? Jesus says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When we seek Jesus' glory first, there is no purpose-denying dominion of the enemy we can't take back. Gentlemen, when you're seeking Jesus first, you're seeking Jesus' glory first, when the reason you want that blessing is to have another look-what-God-did moment so I can tell somebody about that, when that is why you exist, if that becomes your purpose just like it was God's purpose to save sinners, if that's the reason that you're doing this, that you're praying for that blessing, that you're praying for that help, that you're praying for that relief, if that's why you are doing that, there's no issue in your life the enemy can hold. We started this whole discussion two years ago. You have been set free to do God's good in your gates. How do you do that? Live a look what God did life. And you get the credibility within your gate to witness about God. And you will save sinners. You will save your marriage. You will save your finance. God will use those very things because you want them not just because of how good it makes you feel and your quality of life here. You want them so you can glorify God. And gentlemen, that's why we're here. To glorify God. That's what it's about. Everybody in here, I know this because God says so. I may not know what your specific destinies are. I just know that everyone in this room right now has a destiny designed by God. And that destiny is, designed, is, is, is tied to his purpose, save sinners. 
Some of those destinies are directly tied to it. Some of you are the Billy Grahams of the world where you're going to see people come to Christ because of what you do. Others, your destiny is a little further away. You're the one planting the seed. Some are, maybe your destiny is you're the one watering the seed or whatever. But you have a destiny that is somehow tied to Jesus' purpose in life, which is to save sinners. We learn to put that purpose first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this other stuff that we are praying for will be added to us. But it will be added to us in order to accomplish God's purpose. Do we still get to enjoy the blessing? Absolutely. The abundance, the generosity that Gary's been talking about, do we still get to do it? Yes, absolutely. But I want to encourage you not just to stop there, but say, okay, here's what happened. Now, now how can I use this to bring glory to God? How can I use this to save sinners? Gentlemen, when we get to the point in our lives where we get more excited about how we're going to bless God's, his plan, than even the blessing we're asking for, we've come a long way in maturity. We've come a long way understanding that we are now seeking first the kingdom of God. When we get those look what God did moments. But it all starts with answering one question. Whose side are you on? Not whose side is God on. God's on his own side. Now, he loves you and me so much that he brought his, he sent his son to this earth to die for you and me. He loves us that much. The God of all creation, who I can't even comprehend, knows the number of hairs on my head because he's that attentive to me. But he's on his side. He's God, we're not. Whose side are you on? When you, when you go into your prayer time, whose side are you on? When you're dealing with your marriage, whose side are you on? When you're dealing with your finances or your job, whose side are you on? When you're dealing with your health, whose side are you on? I want to encourage you. Get on God's side. Start with what's important to Him and make it your aim in life to take every issue in life, good or bad, Remember, all things work for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Love, how many love that verse? Okay, I have a suspicion, and this is just Doug's suspicion. In that verse, in the Greek, there are no punctuation marks. And so I think there's a possibility, there's a comma missing. I think it should say, it's just me. All things work for the good of those who love God, who are called, comma, according to his purpose. What I think that verse is saying is good is defined by God's purpose. Once again, there are few things more powerful than you walking on God's team through hard times to be a witness to others. When they find out that you're serious, when they find out that, boy, they're going through a hard time and they're still honoring God, there are a few things more powerful of a testimony. That makes that bad thing. It's something you can count all joy because it fulfills God's purpose. Oh, yeah, by the way, God promises to get through those things too. And now we have the second opportunity to say, I went through all of this. I told you God would come through and look what he did. God's got the glory. And that's where we get the joy. It's bringing God the glory for the blessings he's bringing to us.
Being on God's side is the key to unleashing the power, his power in our lives in the world. That means seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first what's important to God. Everything else falls in place.